Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Thank you again for joining me here at the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg, and this is episode 21. Hope everyone is slowly but surely getting ready for a fun summer of golf and that everyone took care of mom on Mother's Day last Sunday. Speaking of last Sunday, congrats to Webb Simpson and his caddy Paul Tesori for capturing the Players' Championship. Great performance and really nice seeing one of the good guys on the PGA Tour back in the winner's circle. Congrats to Mark Dahl for winning the 2018 Florida State Mid-Amateur Championship this weekend. Mark made it through qualifying in some tough matches against Chip Brook and TJ Schuert to reach the final. In fact, Mark and Chip are getting ready to team up and head back over to the U.S. 4-Ball Championship next week. Good luck to them. What do Mark, Chip, and TJ all have in common? Well, when they aren't playing amazing golf, they all found time to join me here at the back of the range. Remember, all of the episodes are available at our website, thebackoftherange.com. Don't forget, we are on Instagram. Check us out, the Back of the Range podcast. If you follow us already, you saw the big announcement we made last Friday letting you know about our very special guest for episode 22. Steve Burkowski, yes, Burko, is making an appearance here. We had a great conversation about the upcoming NCAA championships in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and we discussed the many hats that he wears at the Golf Channel. He really is a great supporter of what we're trying to do around here, and that episode will post on Wednesday, May 23rd, so stay tuned for that. That brings us to this week's guests. For most of you that have been listening to the podcast, you've heard some great interviews with great amateurs, college players, and college coaches. But this week, we're going to do something a little different. Our guest this week is Tom Lawrence. Now, Tom may not be the best golfer around, but what he does for the game of golf is incredibly important. Tom is the executive director for the First Tee Program in Central Florida. If you've watched golf on TV, you've seen the commercials where they talk about how they introduce their core values to kids through the game of golf. Here at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast, we are big on getting kids involved in golf, and Tom has been doing it for a long time, and through the first tee, the impact that they have made has been incredible. So do me a favor right now. You may not have kids of your own, or maybe your kids are all grown up. So maybe this episode won't resonate with you as much as the other ones, but do me a favor. Think about some friends of yours that have young children. They may be parents that know nothing about the game of golf, or how to get their kids involved. I'm sure that you know someone that fits this description. What I'd like you to do is send this episode to those parents. In this episode, Tom really gets into what the first tee is all about, how it introduces the game of golf to kids, and help kids in their formative years to be able to excel on the golf course, and most importantly, off the golf course. So Tom, thanks so much for the time, and thanks for joining us here at the back of the range. Ben, thanks a lot for having me. I've uh, enjoyed listening to some of the podcasts you've done over the uh, past couple of months. Let me give a little preview to, to the episode here. A lot of our guests in the past are either former professionals or former players or college coaches. And Tom, you have a just a, a really unique spot in the game of golf that I think a lot of people are going to want to hear about and need to hear about. So tell us a little bit about your, your current position in the game of golf. Well, Ben, I am the executive director here at the First Tee of Central Florida, which covers the uh, greater Orlando area. 
Uh, and uh, over the last 11 years of my career, I've spent involved in the first tee, introducing young people between the ages of 7 and 18 to the game of golf, but also including some of the life lessons, the core values, and healthy habits associated with the game at the same time. We all see the commercials for the first tee through uh, when we're watching a PGA Tour event or an LPGA Tour event. I know that uh, you know, Michelle Wee is really involved and Paula Creamer and Jimmy Walker and a lot of the, the professionals are really involved. How did you start getting into to working with the first tee? I mean, when I think of people trying to get into the game of golf, they either want to play professionally or they want to be a teacher. How did you get in, engaged or involved with the first tee program? So it's actually uh, kind of a unique story or a fun story. Um, I was very lucky. I grew up up in New York uh, on Long Island. And when I was in high school, I played on the high school golf team. And uh, the high school golf coach just basically said, is there anyone interested in working the summer at a golf course? I said, well, that's pretty cool. I need a job. And I'd rather do that than flipping burgers at McDonald's. So I uh, said, I'm interested. And what, how it kind of worked out is up in New York, the Metropolitan Golf Association's foundation uh, has a program called Golf Works. And what they do is they hire individuals, high school age, through the foundation, and then give us uh, as employees to local golf courses. So we're a free employee to the golf course, but we're getting paid. So it's a win-win all the way around. Nice. And you have the opportunity to learn. Um, really what they want you to do is go through the different areas of the golf course to learn the business. So I wound up working at a municipal golf course uh, and wound up doing it for five years. Uh, started originally as the guy who drove the uh, driving range cart and put golf carts away. And by the end of the five years, I was, um, I was uh, teaching the junior golf camps they had going on. I was one of the assistant instructors, as well as kind of the guy who closed up the pro shop, uh, did the late twilight hours, as well as there was a lit driving range. So I worked there until about 9 o'clock every night. Uh, it was a great experience. Got a chance to play a lot of golf. And really, that's where I developed my passion for the game of golf. And so when it was time to go to college, I knew I wasn't good enough to play um, collegiately, but I wanted to be involved in the game somehow. So I wound up going to a school called Flagler College over in St. Augustine uh, and gotten uh, was my major with sport management. And ultimately, I either want to become a PGA professional and work at the club or uh, really get involved with tournament operations. Um, as I was going through uh, Flagler, I really started gearing more towards the tournament operations side. Uh, but in order to graduate, we had to do a semester-long internship, and I had to do a mock interview, and I knew Elliot Levercombe, who was the uh, executive director of the first tee of St. John's County at the time over in St. Augustine. Sure. We asked, he asked me about three questions, and he turned to me and, t- and said, Tom, um, the PTA Tour would be a great place to work. It would look great on your resume. Uh, this was 2007. He said, but the first tee's expanding. I think there could be a role for you here. It could be something that you might really be interested in. And lastly, you're going to be able to do some stuff. You won't just be a gopher uh, or putting together bleachers, but you'll have the opportunity to really get your hands involved in the first team. I think you could be a valuable asset. I thought about it and said, all right, I'm going to do a semester long internship here uh, where it's going to be 40 hours a week and it'll really give me some uh, learning experiences. And uh, within two weeks of being there as, an, as a volunteer, uh, even prior to the internship, I fell in love with it. I loved working with kids. I loved passion for the game of golf. And more than anything, I really enjoyed introducing the game of golf to a uh, to a population of kids that may or may not typically be introduced to the game of golf. Sure. Well, and the other thing that 
I guess had to have been a draw when you first started is, you know, not to discount setting up bleachers or filling up ice chest or being a go from the PGA tour, but immediately you're seeing impact immediately. Just, you know, even just helping a kid for one afternoon kind of understand a concept or, uh, you know, improve his putting or, if you see a behavioral situation that you can kind of correct and the kid takes something from it, I mean, you're getting immediate feedback and immediate satisfaction every single day. I mean, was that just pretty much the kicker that got you into this? Absolutely. I mean, that was one part of it that just really got me excited, especially, I mean, you know how it is. Golf is a hard game. And all of a sudden that kid hits that one shot and you see their face light up and jump up in the air. I mean, that's, that's something extremely rewarding. Additionally, really quick involved in, uh, as an intern, I was sitting in meetings uh, for different events we had going on. I was playing a key role in kind of the operation of the first tee during that period of time. Your ground level on something. I, I can't believe, I mean, we first uh, were, were talking about you coming on uh, to the podcast. You know, I had to do some research just to make sure I knew when the first tee started. I can't believe it. It's already, uh, gosh, it's, it's already 20 years old. I mean, it started in November 1997. Last year, actually, we had uh, the big celebration of our 20 years of impact. And it's uh, kind of amazing to see that this kind of idea that originally took place where uh, there was the big announcement at Central Park with Tom Watson, Commissioner Tim Fincham, George H.W. Bush, and Earl Woods has now spun into this this program and this belief that uh, we could use this great game of golf to have a really big impact on the lives of young people. Uh, and it's far-reaching, far beyond, I think, what anyone ever thought. Yeah. And we're going to get into some of the great things that the first tee does. I know they have their, their huge tournament, um, for the champions tour out at Pebble beach. I know you have a couple of stories from there and obviously you've, you've moved from North Florida where, you know, Flagler college, St. Augustine, you're, you were there. Now you're in, in Orlando. I definitely want to get into that story about your, your first day on the job, which is just amazing. But let me ask you this question. There's the first tee, which seems to be open for the I guess the public, and then there's the, uh, you know, maybe the junior golf camps at a private country club or maybe like an IMG Academy, which is even more exclusive. Why would a parent want to send, or a parent or guardian, why would a parent or guardian want to send their kid to the first tee as opposed to just taking them over to a golf course for their junior camp or a country club for their junior camp? What are the two differences? So the biggest thing I would say with the first T is we consider ourselves a youth development organization. Uh, and what that primarily means is that we are using the game of golf simply as a tool to teach kids life skills, core values, and healthy habits. And so ultimately, in every clinic or class that we have with the first T, we have two major intentions behind it. We have the golf side, where we're working on developing the skill set to be able to play the game of golf, a game that uh, young people could play for a lifetime as well as teaching the rules of golf and the etiquette behind the game, as well as we have this uh, written curriculum that kids go through that's written by PhDs in the field of youth development through sport and youth kinesiology that basically uses research-proven methods to introduce core values like honesty, integrity, perseverance, values that are inherent to the game of golf, life skills such as uh, interpersonal communication, meeting and greeting, self-management skills, goal-setting, resilient skills, as well as healthy habits that tie in with uh, not just the physical aspect, but the emotional and social aspect uh, that the game of golf brings as well. 
uh, in many ways, we're not, if you're looking to play a highly competitive um, golf schedule, uh, we're not the end-all, be-all, I will say. Okay. However, we are can be a very important component to the development of a young person. But as you know, it is a percentage of 1% of, of people that make it to the PTA or LPTA tour. So if we can provide young people with a skill set that they can use the game of golf to reach their wildest dreams and goals, that's where the first key is going to have a profound impact on the lives of some young people. Do you find a lot of that there are some kids that come to the first tee for the social and for the, learning the social skills, but then maybe they're getting other specialized golf instruction elsewhere? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, here at the chapter I'm currently at here in Central Florida, uh, what we find is that the, that type of demographic or population of young people the parents love the first tee for two reasons. One is because of the values that we're teaching and really reinforcing throughout the lessons they're in. But two, because as they progress and get older, we have some phenomenal participant opportunities that young people could take advantage of uh, that the first tee covers the cost behind. And so there's a uh, the way we like to think about it is that the first tee is a complement for those young people that want to be able to propel themselves into other areas. Okay. So for, because I would imagine this episode is really going to be important for, for parents and for kids to really understand what the first tee does. So the first tee is not like parents shouldn't think of, well, either I send my kids to the first tee or I don't send my kids to the first tee. I put them over in this camper. It's not the a sole solution. It could be a supplement. It could be the sole solution, but it could be a supplement. It could be whatever they want it to be, Right. And I will say, yes, you are correct. And I will also say that each chapter in the first tee, there's 160 chapters around the United States, uh, may operate a little bit differently. Uh, but a lot of times, the, the curriculum we're delivering is the same. But a lot of times, maybe your coach in the first tee would then also become your private golf instruction coach if okay. that's the avenue you want to take. Okay, great. All right. Yeah, just I think it's great just to to highlight all the, all the things that the first tee does offer so that we can uh, – uh, for people listening, they they know exactly what. It's. And the website, we're going to put the link to the to the first tee. We're going to put the link in the in the show notes uh, of this episode. That way, people can learn and get more information about it. Um, so, <laughs> you you're in the North Florida location, and you're working your way up. You were the executive director in 2009 for St. John's County. Tell me about when the opportunity became apparent that you had an opportunity to move to central Florida. How did that situation or how did that opportunity present itself to you? So I was actually um, working at the first tee of St. John's County. And if uh, you're kind of familiar with Northeast Florida, there's Jacksonville, which is the major city over in that area. And then St. John's County is the suburban County that's just South of Jacksonville. And at the time, there was the first tee of Jacksonville and the first tee of St. John's County. And each first tee chapter is its own independent organization. So uh, we're almost like a franchisee of the first tee brand. So we have to fundraise in the communities that we're in. Uh, we also deliver the programs to meet the demographic of the communities that we're in. And so in that area, there was a whole bunch of confusion going on with uh, what the difference between the first tee of Jacksonville was and what the first tee of St. John's County was. So at the time, I was actually working with a number of people to try to get those two chapters to merge together to become the first tee of North Florida. Randomly, one day while I was going through, I had this 
um, kind of suspicious voicemail left for me from the general counsel of the first team that just said, Tom, call me. And I thought that myself and the group of individuals trying to merge these chapters together did something wrong or something like that. So you I never want to, day. yeah, you never want to get a call from anyone whose title is general counsel. Yeah. That's never fun. Yes. And says nothing on a voicemail except for call me. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so I called them the next day and, uh, said, uh, <laughs> what, what can I help you with? And he says, what do you know? What do you know about central Florida? And I said, I don't know much about central Florida. I mean, I know that the first he has been trying to start a chapter there for quite a long period of time. I don't know if they're up and running or anything. He goes, well, we're actually at the point now where, uh, we have a great group of individuals together and they're finally ready to hire an executive director. And so I'd like to be able to recommend that you, uh, you apply for the job because once again, we're independent organizations. So I would technically be going to another organization to work. They can't just, it's not like I transfer or something like that. Okay. And I said, I said, thanks a lot for the phone call. I really am passionate about getting these two chapters together. Uh, I'm, I was actually getting married in, I think like three or four weeks. Uh, we had just bought a house over in St. Augustine. Life was really good. And I hung up the phone. So then I called my now wife, Beyonce, at the time and said, you're never going to believe this. You said the, the general counsel will uh, call me and uh, say that I should apply for the Central Florida job. And she said, what do you say? I said, thanks, but I'm kind of comfortable with where I am. And she responded and said, are you nuts? You need to be able to take advantage of this. You never know what opportunities can come down the road. So I uh, got off the phone with her. Uh, she actually gave much better advice than what I probably what I took myself called John uh, or called the general counsel back up and said, uh, Hey, can we talk about this some more? I've been thinking about it. So we <laughs> talked a little bit more. I uh, wound up putting in my resume. I actually, when I was on my honeymoon, got information about uh, coming in for an interview. And so I interviewed for the job and a uh, couple uh, couple weeks later, wound up taking the job here as the executive director of the first year of central Florida to start the chapter. Um, Part of me thinks it's because of the great resume I built, and part of me also thinks that I got the job because at the time I was young enough to be able to handle about three different jobs at once and work all the hours to be able to get this chapter off the ground the way we wanted to. So uh, it's been a great experience since. And and also you got the job because of your wife kicking you into it. So let's make sure you get. Her, yeah, I mean let's you know let's Absolutely. make sure you throw that in there. So you get this job at the first tee in Central Florida and. You know, it it's a court. I mean, look, you're you're working with kids. You're working through the game of golf, but it's a new job. It's a new company. A lot of people, when they start a new job, they have the first day jitters, and you have to fill out paperwork with HR, and then you're going to shadow with someone. They'll show you where the break room is, and they'll explain to you the corporate culture. Um, that's not what you did on your first day at at, at the first team in Central Florida, is it? That is not what I did the first okay, day. Okay, so let's <laughs> so let's let me have you tell the story of your first day on the job. You don't know anyone. You don't know where the bathrooms are. You don't know how to. You don't know anything about that office about that job. So your first day, walk me through it. So it's even. I mean, before I even had a uh, quote unquote company email address, I was still using my old chapter's email address at the period of time, and I got an email uh, a couple days before I was supposed to start and said. Um, you've been selected as the individual to represent the first tee for the uh, first tee Wednesday that the Golf Channel holds. Uh, and we're going to have you on morning drive. You're going to be on 
during the seven o'clock hour. And so uh, your first day on the job, we expect you to be here about six forty-five for makeup. Oh, okay. So you so you read that email, and what's your immediate thought? My immediate thought was uh, I need to make sure I cover all the bases to be able to make sure I know what I'm talking about for this new chapter that's technically launching today. Nice. So you're there early in the morning. Uh, at that yes. time, who was, who was working morning drive at that point? So at that period of time, it was still at the old studio. And um, it was with uh, Gary Williams. And we had Charlie Reimer, who was the two individuals on. If you recall back then, um, it was typically just two individuals that were talking in the old school, almost now like a podcasting studio. And they would have Holly Saunders do this kind of live uh, news and notes for the day but uh so it was charlie and um gary williams which was a great time very nice so uh your first experience with tv uh obviously it's it's helped you with your first experience in in podcasting so uh, clearly you've you've well <laughs> anyway uh how how did you enjoy that and and you know walk me through the experience of just doing the the live interview so it was actually it was a lot of fun uh and one of the things, I mean, I had done some local local hits with the uh, news stations with the uh, when I was up in Northeast Florida, uh, but I had never done anything live, and so that was a relatively unique experience. I'm not sure if you've ever been on one of those where they give you the headset, and so you actually hear what you're saying as you go through, which is relatively interesting. Plus, you have the director that's about to go to commercial talking in your ear saying. Uh, we're going to commercial in five, four, three, two, one. Uh, so that was a lot of fun going on and kind of experiencing that for the first time. Uh, I give those guys so much credit that have the ability to do that, to be able to talk so smoothly, to fill the amount of airspace that they fill, uh, and then also to be able to have that person in their ear directing them where to go during that period of time. It's truly fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Um, but while I was on there, I mean, it was the first time I ever had to go and do makeup, which, I mean, as a male, is a relatively interesting experience. Uh, it was also uh, the first time that I really got a chance to see kind of Golf Channel Studios, which is, I mean, if you've ever had the opportunity to be there, it's a fascinating place. And they've actually done some renovations to uh, the building since that really make it, uh, for the people that work there, a really unique place to work. And did you, in the limited time you were there, did you, speaking to Gary Williams and Reimer and, and Saunders and, and everyone else there, um, did you get the sense that that their personality on camera is the exact same as it is off camera? Like, you know, just... Absolutely. Okay. Because I just, I just imagine that... I just imagine that Charlie Reimer just is someone that, you know, you just, you got to have a beer with um, and that he may, you know, may always have barbecue sauce on his hands. I mean, I, I can't confirm this, but that would be my guess about, about Reimer. Oh, absolutely. And we actually had his son, Charlie Duke, who was uh, a volunteer intern for us during his uh, summer in between, I think it was in between his uh, junior and senior year of high school. And, uh, I watched Morning Drive every morning kind of religiously. I came in one day and said, did you see what your dad did today? And he kind of just put his hand in his face and said, what nice. do you do now? <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so you're you're spending this time at, at the First Tee, and you know we're just going to highlight some of the other things that, that are really great about the First Tee program. So the Champions Tour, with, with the tournament that the Champions Tour supports the First Tee with, they have, I mean, what better place than Pebble Beach? So this tournament brings kids from 
all over the country in all different first tee chapters, and they get paired up with a Champions Tour player. You've been at this event, is that correct? Absolutely, yes, I have. I uh, won. I believe the year was two thousand and nine when I was out there for the event. And can you further explain just how that tournament is set up? How the kids get selected to play in it? And were you, now, did you caddy for for a, a representative of your first tee chapter? Is that how that worked? Yes. So uh, to kind of start with how the kids get selected and how they get a chance to play in it, um, the uh, it's now called the Pure Insurance Open to benefit the first tee, but it's also had the names of the Walmart First Tee Open and the Nature Valley First Tee Open as well. Sure. Uh, and uh, basically. Every year, uh, the first tee has anywhere from five to now it's like 12 participant opportunities that kids that meet certain minimum requirements are eligible to apply for. Uh, we have a Life Skills and Leadership Academy. We have a, uh, it's called a Player Advanced Academy for kids looking to play collegiate golf and help them along the process. Uh, we have a scholars program. Uh, there's a lot of different great opportunities for young people to be involved with, whether they're highly competitive golfers, which obviously this Pebble Beach event is for those, or ones that just want to be able to use golf to propel themselves to, into great futures, uh, like the Life Skills and Leadership Academy. But all these participant opportunities, the young people have to fill out these applications, which are much like college applications. Okay. Uh, in there, they're putting in, they're answering questions on the impact the first he has had how they're utilizing some of these life skills and core values on and more importantly off the golf course. They're having to get letters of recommendation from people that work at their first key chapters as well as other areas as well. And for the peer insurance open, uh, they have to have minimal requirements. I believe for the boys, it has to be a better than a six handicap for girls. It's better than an eight. They're including golf resumes with results that they have uh, in competitive tournaments uh, for the Pure Insurance Open, uh, they now have to have an interview with both staff as well as board members of their local first tee chapter. So the kids that are being selected for this not only are great golfers, but they're great kids at the same period of time. I've been lucky enough to serve as a judge uh, for certain sections of, of uh, these applications, and I feel like I am a complete underachiever based upon some of the things these young people are doing. Um, in their communities to be able, uh, not just with their involvement in the first team, but in other areas as well. And then they hold a 1.2 hand, USGA handicap at the same period of time. Yeah, I don't want to read any of that stuff either. I mean, I have, I have my, my self-esteem is pretty shaky as it is. I don't want to hear about some 15-year-old that's like, you know, saving orphaned puppies and then getting 4.0 GPA. I don't, I don't have time for any of that stuff. So you're doing the Lord's work. You, you do that stuff. Just keep that away from me. But that's got to be. Uh, that's going to be so difficult to have to judge these kids and say, all right, this one deserves it more than this one. Uh I mean, that's, that can't be, that cannot be a fun part of your job. So I think what actually makes it relatively unique is that, I mean, for this, for the pure insurance open, for instance, the first he gets hundreds of applications. And so I'm actually getting only a handful that I'm reading and there's another two or three judges that are reading that same subset of kids as well. So we're kind of averaging just what we see amongst the group of kids that we have. And then it's going into probably uh, our national office to make that ultimate decision at the end. Okay. So you're, you're not the one that's, so you do some of the pre-work. You don't have to put these kids on the chopping block and make the tough decisions yourself, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, you can go through and uh, you, uh, 
I mean, it's amazing. All the kids get it, but you can really see when there's a deep, profound impact, um, depending on what that young person's looking for, that the first key has had and how they're carrying, paying it forward almost at the same time. Yeah. Now you're, uh, now, now this obviously Pebble Beach, did you get the opportunity to yeah. play out there? Uh, tell me some, I mean, did you, were you able so, to play the course? So I actually did not. So how it works, uh, how it worked actually when my participant was selected in 2009 was the participant got selected as well as they had the opportunity to have all expenses paid for one of their, uh, for a chaperone. Most of the time it was a parent, but the participant at my chapter who was selected had uh, three siblings. And at the time dad was going to uh, back to school. So it was a very uh, chaotic time. And so dad being at school, mom taking care of the other siblings, they asked if I would go as the chaperone slash caddy. Uh, now when the tournament goes on, none of the players have caddy. They actually huff the bag themselves. But I had the great opportunity to go and kind of live vicariously through uh, our participant through this experience. Sure. Uh, so we wound up leaving uh, bright and early one morning, went from Jacksonville to Miami, Miami to San Francisco, did our quick stop at the In-N-Out Burger and headed down to, uh, down to Monterey and uh, Carmel. And one of the great things about it, uh, the participant that we had, his brother was selected to go either the year before or two years before. And so they stayed at host housing. So we actually stayed in the same host housing his brother stayed in. Uh, oh, perfect. And it was phenomenal. It was in downtown Carmel. Uh, we had this walk through this little park to be able to get right into the little town area they had. Uh, so when he had his afternoon tea times, we would in the morning kind of just go through full walk through Carmel. Um, he had his own guest house that I stayed in by myself. It was it was a great experience. That's uh, that's great. So, uh, which which Champions Tour professional was uh, was your participant paired with? So my participant actually got paired with Bill Glasson, who's known as the Bionic Man, yeah, because Billy he's had Glasson. over a hundred different surgeries. Uh, and let me tell you, for the uh, Champions Tour, being over the age of fifty, Bill is in, well at that time was in phenomenal shape. I don't know Bill Glasson personally, obviously, but uh, gosh, I just remember watching him in the eighties and the 90s on the PGA Tour. This is well before the Tiger effect of fitness on the PGA Tour. Bill Glasson looked like every bit of the fitness freak that you can, that all these guys look like right now. Like Bill Glasson was like the Dustin Johnson before Dustin Johnson. So, yeah. but yeah, he's had like, <laughs> he's held together with, you know, scotch tape and bailing wire apparently with all the surgeries he's had. Yes. But I'll tell you one thing, the guy still, uh, as of 2009, when we were out there, had, had some game. I mean, he, he can move the ball out there and uh, was a uh, pretty good putter as well. So it was fun to be able to get that firsthand experience of watching him play. Nice, nice. Uh, and, and your participant, did, uh, did he handle the nerves pretty well? Did he enjoy himself? So it was actually, it was really uh, kind of fun. So how it works is we go out there, uh, obviously the Champions Tour plays Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three rounds. So we got out there late on Tuesday, and they had this big introductory night. Wednesday, you played a practice round. We played our practice round over at uh, Pebble Beach on Wednesday. Uh, obviously, first time out there, you're getting all the pictures while you're out there that you can. Sure. Uh, and then Thursday, we played the practice round at Del Monte Golf Club, which is uh, the other course they were using at the time. Now they use Poppy Hills as the second course for this event. But... Um, so we played the practice round over there, and my uh, my participant lit it up. I'd like to say the caddy gave him all the right clubs, but he was playing well. I think he wound up shooting 72 or 73. Um, really played well that day. So he was all pumped up to be able to play. Uh, 
the next day, which we were back at Del Monte. Uh, and so, uh, get there and you could tell he was definitely a different kid that, that, that next day when the tournament was on, there was a crowd out there. Sure. You could definitely tell he was nervous, but, uh, he did really well. Uh, and we had a good time while we were out there. Um, and I mean, for me being growing up on the East coast, I struggled so bad helping him with the greens. I felt terrible while I was out there. I mean, first of all, Del Monte's a little more inland. You're kind of over this little, I don't want to call it a mountain, but kind of a big hill. Uh, they tell you everything breaks away from the hill before the water, but we're on the other side of the hill. So I had no idea where anything breaks while we're out there. Yeah. Um, so if you don't mind, I love to tell the story. We do stories here. So just, you, you keep going. So plays the first hole and I think he makes a par. And we get to the second hole, par five. Kills his drive, hits the second shot on the green, but the green is huge. And uh, he's probably, I don't know, 60, 70 feet away from the hole. He's got an eagle putt, and uh, he's, you can tell he's excited about it. We wait for his turn, and he says, so what do you see? And I say, good luck, because I have not a clue. I haven't been able to read a putt the entire time. So Bill's caddy comes over, um, looks at his putt, starts walking around the hole, three different areas, and then he's got this sliding scale back and forth on this piece of paper. I'm like, what is this guy doing? And he comes back to my participant and says, aim 56 and a half inches to the left. Oh, God. And I'm like, first of all, how did you get that number? Second of all, how, does a kid pull out a tape measure to figure out 56? I'm trying to convert that to feet in my, in my head during that period of time. Uh, well, come to find out, it all comes back full circle that the guy who was serving as Bill Glasson's caddy that week now is Bryson DeChambeau's coach. So all that numbers-based, data-based information uh, that Bryson DeChambeau does, I got back in 2009 with the straight-line putting method that he used. Yeah, that's uh, that's Mike Shy that you're talking about. Yes. So the rest of the week, I more or less refer to, to Mike to be able to uh, read those putts. And uh, <laughs> I, I have to ask the, the follow-up, did he make the eagle putt or did he get it close enough for a tap-in? No, unfortunately, I think he three-putted the par. Okay, so <laughs> all that technical shit, yeah, just, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I can yep. three-putt three it without a protractor uh, just fine, <laughs> fine myself. So, so um, again, I just wanted to also hit on uh, another thing. You know, obviously, the, these kids are, these are the elite that get to go to the, to, to Pebble Beach to play in this tournament, but there are a lot of clinics that that these professionals put on for the first tee kids. Whether it's in, uh, you know, I can imagine doing it all all the tour stops all around the country. But you've been in front of some really good clinics with some really good professionals, um, either in North Florida or in in uh, in Central Florida. Uh, I think you mentioned to me in the past uh, you had you had uh, Furick and you had Funk. Yes. Uh, okay. So when I was when I was up at the first tee of St. John's County, we actually, not only did we have clinics with them, but we actually had them come out to our first tee facility that we had up there to provide those clinics. So now, yeah, Jim Furyk, you had Fred Funk, uh, and, and these kids, they, they get to just watch them hit balls. Or are they interacting with them and asking questions? Kind of walk me through how, how that whole experience is for the kids. So with those two clinics, the one we did with Jim Furyk, uh, he did kind of a demonstration uh, for the kids uh, for probably about 45 minutes or so. Hit a whole bunch of different shots, did a whole bunch of quote-unquote trick shots. I mean, big draws, big cuts. Um, 
But one of the things that Jim Furyk did that was amazing, he was telling a story about when he was in high school up in the Pittsburgh area or Pennsylvania area, that him and his buddies used to have a contest to see who could swing the hardest and hit the ball the shortest. And so one of the things that just stood out to me on how amazing he is with hand-eye coordination is he has the ability to almost like in football, an onside kick, drive the ball into the ground have it pop straight up in the air and then come right back in, to his feet on purpose. Um, so, I mean, the kids just go nuts when they have the ability to see that. Cause not only are they watching the guy who wound up the next year going on to win the FedEx cup, sure. but at the same time have the chance to see him do all these like really unique shots that uh, you can't you, you pretty much don't get a chance to see. And then you also had the, the clinic in, Central Florida and yeah, you know, Justin Thomas and Chesson Hadley and, and, and Morgan Hoffman and, and Smiley Kaufman. Uh, are there any players that it seems like the kids really gravitate to more, or are they just in a s- state of shock when they're seeing these PGA tour stars hitting these shots? So I think one of the unique things that we're finding here in my chapter in central Florida, um, uh, is that the demographic of the majority of kids we have here, I've been using the term are kind of first generation golfers. Mom and dad don't play golf. Uh, They may be introduced to the game with the school program that we have, or they may be introduced because a grandparent that lives out of this area wants them to learn the game, and they find a first tee because of the brand name we have. So when we have these clinics, a lot of times the kids have no idea who these players are. But one of the great things about all the players you just mentioned are not only are they great golfers, but they're phenomenal guys, and they really do a good job of relating to the kids. So the kids are coming out to see this pro golfer. They don't realize that at the time Justin Thomas is about to become, uh, this was four years ago, three or four years ago, is going to become one of the best players in the world. And they don't realize that uh, Russell Henley two weeks later is going to win over at the Shell Houston Open. Um, So they're just coming out to see these individuals. And so I think they become fans of these players after they see them because now it's somebody that they've had this experience with rather than, hey, Smiley Kaufman, who's a huge name and did a phenomenal job uh, is going to be there. So I want to go. It's more like, this is a great experience to go to. And now I'm a fan of Smiley Kaufman. Well, the other thing too, is these, these pros are not the guys in their, you know, nothing against them, but they're not guys in their forties yeah. that they can't relate to. I mean, you know, Smiley and Henley and all, I mean, they look like they're in their early twenties as it is. And probably, you know, the kids can relate to them even more. Oh yes, absolutely. And I mean, uh, the really, uh, Fun, uh, fun thing about it was this year, Smiley Kaufman did our, one of our clinic over at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Uh, and, uh, I mean, Smiley's been struggling this year, but he's still, I mean, he had a phenomenal attitude. And the kids were asking some questions of him. And so they were saying, how do you be able to keep a good attitude when you were struggling on the golf course as a kid? And he was talking about how his mom had this deal with him that if he had a good attitude on the course, he would, uh, he would uh, get a bag of Skittles afterwards. And, I mean, it was just really cool to see like the human side of uh, smiling and talk about the experience growing up. Well, um, I got to hit on this story. So you told me this before we, we started recording last or before we started recording, <laughs> you know, you're, you're highlighting all these, these positive things about the first seat program. And a lot of it's about, you know, intelligence and integrity and good, good decision-making. And I think you know where I'm going with this because you told me a story. You told me a story that clearly exhibits bad decision making. And 
a, just the wrong thing to do. When someone gives you an opportunity in life, you got to take it. And you didn't take this opportunity. So I can't believe we're going to record this. I know it's going to, you know, haunt you for years, but I'd like you to tell the story to all of our listeners of how you turned down the opportunity to play Augusta National. So I think I need to kind of preface this and say that we, uh, at the first tee, talk about honesty and integrity, and I think this was probably in the long run a better decision. Uh, but, yes, it is uh, one that I uh, do enjoy kind of telling to an extent. So uh, with the first tee, all the kids that are involved in our programs are subsidized. Uh, and then we also, every chapter maintains a policy that no child is ever turned away for an inability to pay. So if you could think about what it costs to be able to get a golf lesson, well, we deliver here in Central Florida 10-week programs uh, that only cost participants $50 to to do all 10 weeks total. Uh, And then we also provide full financial assistance to over 25% of those participants. So we need to be able to fundraise in a variety of different ways to be able to ensure that we have the funds to be able to deliver these programs. So when I first started here at the first year of Central Florida, I wasn't even on the job for six months at that period of time. We said, let's put together, we had some really good connections for a couple things. Let's put together an online auction that benefits the first tier of Central Florida. So at the time, we uh, partnered with eBay, and we got five really unique experiences to be able to uh, to be able to auction off on eBay. And eBay helped us promote it as we went there. We had a stay and play over at Arnold Palmer's Bay Hill Club and Lodge. Nice. We had a, um, we had at the time Doc Rivers, who has roots here in Central Florida. Uh, with the head coach over at the Boston Celtics. And he had this ultimate doc experience where you went to a Red Sox game uh, during the day. You then ate a pregame meal with doc. And then you had courtside seats over at a Boston Celtics game that night, uh, which was a really cool experience. We had uh, a round of golf with Ken Griffey Jr. And then we had a, pa- we had a package with the Annika uh, Academy at the time where you would stay and play with Annika. And then lastly, we had a Golf Channel studio tour and lunch with Win Nick Murray, who was with the Golf Channel at the time, and Charlie Brown. So we wound up doing this auction. Uh, we The auction finalizes. So I send out all the information to the people. This is how you redeem. This is how you pay. Well, the person who won the Golf Channel studio tour uh, immediately pays uh, and says, we'll be in contact to set up the studio tour date. So a couple days later, after the guy wins, he sends me an email. And it says, how about you, Wynn, and Charlie come to Augusta the afternoon of April 29th, and we'll play Augusta Nationals April 30th. Just the thought. And so I get this email, and I'm like, I don't know why it didn't register in my head, but I'm like, the tournament's just over. There's no way that this guy's inviting me to go ahead and play over at Augusta National. So I kind of let it go by, and about a week and a half later, I get the same email, this time bolded in yellow, and it says... Any thoughts on this? So I wind up pulling the guy's name, and his name is listed as a member from Augusta National that was back in the 1997 USA Today release of who uh, who were members at Augusta National. So I'm thinking about this, and first of all, I wasn't the one who arranged the Golf Channel Studio Tour. Um, it was one of the board members that we had. Sure. And then I was also saying, I'm brand new at this job. Uh, if somebody finds out that I kind of utilize this to propel myself to a guest that I don't know how long I will be in this career. Uh, so I wound up talking and I said, also, if this guy's a member of Augusta national, I want to make sure that whoever we send up there is a good, re- not only a good representation of the first tee, but has the opportunity to maybe 
leverage that into whether it be donations or unique experiences and, and things like that. Yeah, I never so got that. I never got that call, by the way. I was never, you never called me. I just wanted to go on the record, but go ahead. All right. <laughs> so after talking to a couple of the board members, we wound up, uh, I wound up forfeiting my spot and having another board member join when, when and Charlie to be able to go and enjoy that experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that I'm hoping that good karma comes around and one day I get this phone call where I can take advantage of it. There it is. Okay. So you're but really what you're doing, it's not that you made a bad decision at the time. You made a calculated good decision at the time to kind of set things in motion where you can take advantage of it in a proper way. Absolutely. And I also think as a new uh new employee at the time, I heard a lot of uh brownie points and kudos with my uh, trust among the board of directors for uh, taking this stand. All right. So I will, I will re I will change my tack and, and my intro of this question. You made a calculated career choice by doing this. So I, I give you credit for that. So, so smart, smart move there. So with, with working at the first tee in central Florida, obviously that's the Orlando area. You've already mentioned the Arnold Palmer invitational you have to have a good Arnold Palmer story for me. So tell me about the time you met him. We're extremely blessed with what Mr. Palmer did here in central Florida. Mr. Palmer, uh, prior to his passing became a trustee of the first tee. Uh, and with that, he made a $1 million commitment to the first tee, both nationally, as well as, uh, splitting some of that gift with the first tee of Pittsburgh, as well as the first tee here in central Florida. And in all reality, his gift, uh, really, uh, propelled this chapter to get started and to get off the ground. And so we're extremely indebted to both him and the rest of his family. Um, and so the year our chapter started was the same year that the PNC Father-Son Challenge um, relaunched. And if you recall, uh, there was a couple of year gap between there, and it was between Mr. Palmer saying, we need this event in IMG, that they decided that they were going to relaunch it here in Central Florida over at the Ritz-Carlton Golf Club. Yep. And so we were lucky enough to, prior to that event, hold the clinic. And so I was out there the day before the clinic, kind of going through the logistics with the team that was out there. And as I'm talking with the head golf professional, a cart comes in and the guy gets off the cart. And you could tell the, the uh, head golf professional gets a little bit antsy. So he winds up moving some carts. And sure, about probably two minutes later, Mr. Palmer comes around with his grandson, who just got done playing a practice round for the event. So I said, I've been here now for three months. I need to go and introduce myself. I walk up to Mr. Palmer. I said, Mr. Palmer, my name's Tom Lawrence. I'm the executive director of the First Key of Central Florida. It's a pleasure to meet you. I really want to thank you for everything you've done for our chapter to get it off, up and off the ground. He shakes my hand, looks at me, says, Tom, it's a pleasure to meet you. I just want you to know I gave you a lot of money. Make sure you take really good care of that. So he then walks away, <laughs> proceeds to hop in the car, uh, and drive off. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Well, about three or four minutes later, the car, he, um, the car he was in whips back around his grandson pops out and says, my grandfather can't find his watch. My grandfather can't find his watch. So I walked through a couple of the golf carts and I wanted to find him the watch and in it to him. So I think it was well worth the donation in exchange for the watch finding the watch that he had. Right? So, um, so we have a little section here on the Back of the Range Golf Podcast called the Quick Bucket. These are just quick questions that we ask uh, some of our guests, a lot of our guests. Standard one we always ask, Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas. We have Jack's 86 victory uh, at the Masters, and Tiger, if he wins another Masters, that would be his fifth. 
Any thoughts on which of those victories would be the most substantial? Well, I have to think just because I would say I'm a product of the Tiger boom. I have to say that Tiger winning again, uh, winning his fifth green jacket would be uh, more substantial just because of every everything he's gone through during that period of time. Uh, I think, I mean, what Jack did in 86, you can't take away, but I think just in the time and age that we're in right now with social media, I think if Tiger would win a fifth green jacket, uh, the game of golf would just explode. Okay, good answer. Um, if you had to hand over the chapter of the first tee for one week to any PGA Tour or LPGA Tour player, who would it be? You're going to go away for a week vacation. Who's going to take take over for you? Well, the easy answer, I think, would be Scott Langley, as he was uh, an alumni of the first tee. Uh, he's currently on the Web.com tour, but he's uh, been kind of a product through there. Uh, but quite honestly, one of the things, I mean, being able to spend some time around these tour players, they are all, on my side specifically, the PGA Tour, but I know with the LPGA Tour as well, they're all such great individuals. So I, I think any of them would do a phenomenal job being these positive role models to the young uh, to the young people involved in their chapter. Kind of took the easy way out on that one, but I, I, I definitely think there's all of them. I guess if I, if I could add one more, I think I've been unbelievably impressed with Sam Saunders. Uh, the way he handles himself, uh, he's got kind of, he's judged under a different microscope yeah. than a lot of other people being the grandson of Arnold Palmer. I think with his roots being from here in central Florida, as well as the way he conducts himself, um, we are the same age. And so I'm extremely impressed uh, of the way he handles himself. I'd have to go with Sam. So let me ask you this question. You're going to be extremely biased to this, but uh, if you had to guess how long will it be before a first T student wins a PGA Tour event? Ooh, that's a really good question. Uh, well, we have quite a few uh, alumni that are either like Scott Langley, who is now on the web.com tour and has kind of moved up and down from the PGA Tour, yep. uh, as well as names like Cameron Champ, who is an alumni, and Norman Zong, uh, who's currently at the University of Oregon. Uh, I don't think it's going to be too far away. I think we, if I would say in less than the next five years, there's going to be someone who has been engaged with the first tee that wins on the uh, PGA or uh, LPGA Tour. Well, Tom, I really do appreciate you taking the time to join us here at the back of the range. Uh, thank you for all the work that you do for, for the first tee and uh, all the work you've done in North Florida, all the work you're doing now in Central Florida. We're going to put a lot of the links to the first tee in the show notes of this podcast. So if people have any questions, they can go there. We'll put your information there as well. You're getting out there to play some golf today. Where are you playing today? I'm uh, lucky enough. I'm going to join one of my board members, and we're going to play with actually two of our participants uh, and play Interlocking Country Club over in Winter Park, Florida. Excellent. Uh, I've been trying to get myself mentally prepared to make sure that I try to at least get competitive with these two young kids. Okay, and if someone asks you to play Augusta National, what's your answer? Now it's yes. Okay, all right. <laughs> I feel that as long as we've gotten that out of the way, I feel like we, this this has been a uh, we, we made some positive strides here today. So, well, Tom, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on to the podcast, and uh, best of luck the rest of the year. And we'll definitely keep uh, track of what the first is doing. And again, thank you for all you're doing. Ben, thanks a lot for having me. I uh, really enjoy listening to your podcast. Keep up the good work. 
And there you have it. Special thanks to Tom Lawrence, the executive director of the First Tee Program in Central Florida, for joining us here at the back of the range. Remember, next week, Steve Burkowski from the Golf Channel joins us. That's Wednesday, May 23rd. As always, if you have any questions, shoot me an email, ben at thebackoftherange.com. Follow us on Instagram. And as always, thanks so much for listening to The Back of the Range.